something you're going to hear quite a bit for the rest of this morning and throughout this month and hopefully throughout the year in various ways is that missions is important. Missions is vital. We believe that. The question is, do you? How many of you believe it? How many of you believe that missions is important? Let me ask you this. Without a show of hands, I won't put you on the spot. How many of you prove that you believe that missions is important in the way in which you pray and in the way in which you give and the way in which you go? This morning, we're going to learn that missions is important, and we're also going to learn why. If you have your Bibles, turn to Acts chapter 13. We're taking a break from Hebrews for the month of June. promise you we'll eventually get through it. But uh, this month, we're focused on missions, and so I thought there'd be no better place to be this morning than in Acts chapter 13. Now we are diving in well into the book and something that some of you may remember when we were in Acts or or through your personal studies or you may not know this but in Acts 13 it's a transitional part of the book. Luke is in transition. It's a pivotal point in the book. The book of Acts is all about the spread of Christ's church and the advancement of God's kingdom across the world through his apostles and followers. And in Acts 9, definitely in Acts chapter 10 through 12, Luke, who is the author of Acts, is in transition. His focus is turning away from Peter and his ministry to the Jews in Jerusalem and is turning toward Paul and his ministry to the Jews and mainly the Gentiles. And this morning we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 12 and focusing in on the beginning of Paul's mission ministry. And what we're going to learn from this passage is that missions is vital. We're going to learn this morning that we're to have a heart for missions and the reason why is because God has a heart for missions. If we have a heart for God, we should have a heart for the things he has a heart for, and he has a heart for missions, therefore we should have a heart for missions. You follow that? Yeah. We're to have a heart for missions because God has a heart for missions. Why have a heart for missions? Point number one, because God does. He wants to be known and worshipped everywhere. We're to have a heart for missions because God wants to be known and worshipped where He is not known and worshipped by all peoples everywhere. Folks, this point is glaringly obvious from the front of this book to the back of this book. It's all throughout it. God wants to be known and worshipped where He is not known and worshipped. That point is crystal clear in the Scriptures. If we say we have a heart for God, we must have a heart for for missions because missions is what God is a heart for. Look at Acts chapter 13 verse 1. Luke tells us, Now there were in the church at Antioch. Stop there for just a minute. 
Think about this. You may remember this from our study in Acts or from your own personal study, but do you realize that the church at Antioch's very existence was proof positive that God is all about missions? It was 300 miles from where it all started with the risen Christ and the disciples at Jerusalem. This was a, a godless city filled with wicked people and God through persecution in Jerusalem moves his people out and eventually into this city to plant this church. Jesus said in Acts chapter 1 verse 8 that after his disciples were witnesses for him in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria, they were to be his witnesses to the ends of the earth and Antioch is very much part of this great work. Luke tells us that this church was made up of both Jew and Gentile. The dividing wall of hostility that Paul talks about in the book of Ephesians came crashing down in this city with this church. And folks, what takes place in this church has been on God's heart since the beginning. Ever since the people were scattered and languages were confused at Babel, God has been actively at work bringing all peoples from all over the world back under His rule and reign. We see that here with this church. Like the church in Jerusalem, Antioch was a great church. We're told by Luke and Acts that the Christians in Jerusalem filled Jerusalem with the gospel message, the teachings of Jesus. And we learn as we continue to read throughout the book of Acts from Acts 13 on that this church in Antioch is going to be used by God to spread this message all over the known world. Why? Because God has a heart for missions. His desire is to be known in worship where He is not known in worship. Though He wants the church here at Antioch to continue to grow and thrive, though He wants great leaders to lead His people there and wants His people to make disciples in and through the ministries of that church and wants more people in this godless city brought in to His kingdom through the work of this church. He has plans to use this church and take His message elsewhere same is true of us. Same is true of us, fellowship. The work that's taking place here should never stop here. It should start here and go out from here. Look at verse 1 again. Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manan, a lifelong friend of Herod, the Tetrarch, and Saul. There are a few things I want you to see here. Here Luke gives us a list of the leaders, the prophets, and the teachers in Antioch. And I want you to notice the diversity of these men. I believe these men listed here in Antioch probably reflect the diversity going on in this church. This city, the city of Antioch, was a melting pot of all different kinds and types of people. Some have said that all the Roman roads crossed through Antioch. And notice the diversity of leadership. You have Barnabas, you know him, right? 
He was a Jew, a Levite from Cyprus. You had Simeon, who was called Niger, which means black. Many believe him to be a black man from Africa. Some say he was Simon of Cyrene, who carried the cross for Christ, but there's no evidence to support that. There was another North African man by the name of Lucius of Cyrene. You have Manan, who was a wealthy man, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch. Now, this is not Herod from the book of Acts. We read about in Acts chapter 12. But the son of Herod the Great, the one Jesus was sent before, before his crucifixion during his trial, the one who had John the Baptist beheaded. The word used here indicates that Manan grew up in this royal household with Herod. There were probably childhood friends. Now, folks, can we just stop here for just a minute and admit that that's awesome? I'm reminded here of the fact that there are so many stories we'll never hear of God's great changing work. I want to know Manan's story, don't you? How does this guy who grew up in this godless household end up 300 miles away from Jerusalem serving the Lord in Antioch? God did a work, didn't he? This young man who was raised in this Christ-hating household with these kings who hated Christ and his followers had been saved, and now here he is serving the king of kings, the true king, the Lord Jesus Christ. Then, of course, you have Paul, a Jew from the tribe of Benjamin from Tarsus who was converted from a Christ-hating Pharisee to a sold-out child of the king. This is an amazing and diverse group of leaders here in Antioch. And again, I think this group accurately reflects the diversity in this church and in God's kingdom at large. The kingdom of God is a diverse kingdom, isn't it? Talked about this before. It's populated with royals and rebels, with princes and paupers, with Jews and Gentiles, with black people and white people, with gringos, Latinos, and Filipinos. Amen? Right? We can testify to that today. The reason why is because our God is a missional God, amen? A God who wants to be known where he is not known and worshipped by all peoples of all races, of all nations, everywhere. We learn that in this book. The book of Acts. And we learn that the God who used the Christians in Jerusalem to saturate that area with the gospel worked in and through persecution to spread his gospel as far as Antioch. And in this chapter, we see God use the Christians at Antioch to reach the nations. Look at verse 2. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. This was one faithful, committed, and sold-out church. Notice we're told, while they were waiting on the Lord, they were worshiping. Boy, that's practical, isn't it? While you're waiting on the Lord, you need to be worshiping. While they were waiting on the Lord, they were worshiping Him. They were devoting themselves to, to prayer. While they were waiting on God, they were worshiping and serving Him. We're told that the group of men mentioned in verse 1 were 
prophets and teachers, I'm sure during this time, they were busy serving the Lord by serving His Word and they were devoted to prayer. Notice it also says they fasted. They replaced food with prayer and devotion to God. They were faithful to do what God had called them to do until He called them to go and serve Him elsewhere. And folks, this is a great example for us. There are some of you here this morning who are restless. Maybe you're sensing God leading you somewhere else, but God has not yet told you when and where, and you're wondering what you're to be doing while you wait for clarity and direction from Him. You're to be doing this here. While you wait, you're to be worshiping, serving the Lord. We're to be faithful to do the last thing God called us to do until he calls us to do something else. Pretty practical, right? We're told as these leaders at the church at Antioch waited, they remained faithful where they were until God gave them a word of where they were to go next and what they were to be doing next. And when God does give them their assignment, notice who he singles out. We're told that the Holy Spirit speaks probably through one of the prophets there. And he says, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work which I have called them. He sets aside Barnabas and Saul. Not one of them, but both of them. What does that tell us? He wants their best. You know, there are folks in our churches today who know of some people they wish God would call to the mission field. And some of those same people are hoping that God never calls away certain people because they want to selfishly keep them right where they are. Imagine being in this church in Antioch and you receive word that God wants both Barnabas and Paul to leave. Some of us would be devastated by that. But how does the church respond? We're told in verse 3, after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. They sent their best away to do this great work. And the fact that God calls these two great men of the faith out and the fact that the church did not hesitate to send them off should show us where missions falls on their priorities. Way up there. Not the rest, but the best they sent. Folks, how important is missions to you? How would you feel if God sent our best away? How would you feel if God were to call you or your spouse? The example we see in Scripture is that we're to have our yes on the table if and when he calls. Every one of us, every one of us are to have our yes on the table if and when he calls. Jesus also tells his church that we're to be faithfully praying to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers. Jesus commanded us to pray that God would raise up people from our house and from our church to go and serve the Lord by serving his gospel to the nations. Have you been faithfully praying that prayer? It's one of the challenges in your Bible study you're taking home this week. The challenge is for you and me, for us as a church to begin praying that God would raise up missionaries from fellowship to get up and go. There are a lot of great things happening at this church that have been happening over the years, but this is something I haven't seen all that often in my seven years here. I've not seen very many getting up and leaving. 
Listen, church, we're not only to be a receiving church, meaning taking folks in and training them up, but we're also to be a sending church. We're to be sending them out, not just a receiving, but a sending church. We need to be praying to the Lord of the harvest that he would call out and set apart our best, not the rest, but our best for his kingdom work. That's what Jesus said. Pray. Christians at Antioch did. They devoted themselves to worship and prayer. And when the Holy Spirit said, I want Barnabas and Saul, they set them aside. No question. Why? Because they had a heart for missions. Why did they have a heart for missions? Because they had a heart for God who has a heart for missions. He wants to be known and worshipped everywhere. So that's the first reason we're to have a heart for missions. It's because God does. Second is this, so that people everywhere can hear God's truth from his word. We're to be all about missions. We're to pray for missions. We're to give to missions. We're to go on mission with God so that people everywhere can hear his truth from his word. Look at verse 4. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, just underline how often you see Holy Spirit in this passage. We'll go back to that. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Cilicia, and from there they set sail to Cyprus. Here's a map up on the screen. The first mark there is Antioch, and then the next one, go to the next one there, there is Cyprus right there. That's where they they went. Saul and Barnabas and Mark, they headed in that direction. Cyprus was a few hundred miles away from Antioch. Look at verse 5. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogue of the Jews. And they had John to assist them. So we're told that when they, they got to Salamis in Cyprus, they went to the Jews first. Normal pattern that Paul would do. He would go there first because he had a knowledge of the scriptures. They had a knowledge of the scriptures. He knew how the scriptures pointed to Jesus so he could get them to Jesus pretty quickly. And also, if they went to the Gentiles first, the door may be closed for the Jews later on. So it's a good strategy. Verse 6. When they had gone through the whole island, as far as Paphos, seems to be their last stop, they came upon a certain magician, a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus. He was with the proconsul Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence who summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. So notice here, they go throughout this whole island sharing Christ, and we're not really told that there had been much of a response, right? You would think Luke might record that for us, but it doesn't seem like there was. Now, we do know that Christian missionaries had been through here before. In Acts 11, we're told after the death of Stephen, believers were scattered as far as Cyprus, and that believers from Cyprus traveled to Antioch to minister there. Now they're going back to Cyprus. So there had been a response to Christ in the past, but there did not seem to be a big response initially with Paul and Barnabas. But notice they continue to be faithful, don't they, to the Lord, do what he sent them to do. They work their way through the island. They come in contact with these two individuals in Paphos, which is all the way on the other side of the island. Let's go to the next slide. Look at it here. 
Go to the next one. There's Paphos right there, all the way on the other side of the island. And they encountered two people there. We're told one of them, Sergius Paulus, was a great leader, a proconsul, which in this day was a governor who had been appointed by the Roman Senate. And we're told he wanted to hear more from Saul and Barnabas. Luke tells us he sought to hear the word of God. Chances are good word had spread across this little island about Barnabas and Saul's message, and it caught the attention of this Roman leader who wanted to hear more. Sergius Paulus was obviously a spiritual person because he's running around with this magician and seer by the name of Bar-Jesus. But apparently, Bar-Jesus wasn't giving him what he was looking for, which is true of all the false belief systems and false religions of the world. So he calls upon Barnabas and Saul for answers. God's doing a work here, right? He's obviously at work on both ends, on both Saul and Barnabas's part and on Sergius Paulus. He's been working in Antioch at the church there, and, and they set aside Paul and Barnabas and send them out, and he's working in them. They're remaining faithful in the power of the Spirit to share this message, and he's obviously been working in Sergius Paulus's life as well, and God providentially brings these two parties together. God is all over this encounter, is he not? He has orchestrated this meeting. And the reason why is so that peoples everywhere can, can hear this truth. He wants this person to hear this truth. That's why God sends him out. That's why God places it upon your heart to go and others to go and others to hear. He's working here. Folks, this is why we're to be all about missions. That's why we're to have a heart for it, because God has a heart for it, and we must be willing as believers to join Him in this mission because He has people who He wants us to speak with so that He can be made known. And get this, they will only come to know the truth of the gospel through His Word. And for them to hear that Word, we must share it. We must share it. For this word to be known, it must be shared. Therefore, we must go and share it. Because Barnabas and Saul went because they remained faithful even after their message fell on many deaf ears with many in Cyprus because they were faithful to press on, take this message throughout the whole island. They eventually come in contact with one whom God is drawing to himself, one who sought to hear the word of God so that he could be saved. Folks, again, we must be all about missions for this reason. We must have a heart for missions, be committed to pray, give, and go on mission with God because there are people everywhere that God is working on who need to hear this gospel message from his word through his people so that they can respond and be saved. Another reason we're to have a heart for missions is because there are people everywhere who are opposed to the truth of God's message there are people everywhere who distort and twist and outright deny the truths of Christianity. That's another thing Barnabas and Saul were faced with at Paphos and elsewhere. Though there is one wanting to hear more here, there is another who is standing in the way. Look at verse 8. But Elymas, the magician, 
for that is the meaning of his name, opposed them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. So while Barnabas and Saul are sharing the truth of God's message, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, to Sergius Paulus, there is another, a Jew who is a magician, a godless false prophet named Bar-Jesus, also known as Elymas, who stands against them and the truth of their message, and he tries to turn the proconsul away from the faith. Bar-Jesus is a sinister character in this story. Now, his name is unique. It actually means son of salvation. But we find here that he's pointing every other way but the way to salvation, isn't he? Paul knows it. Though in some encounters that he has, the wicked are confronted with the gospel and God does a work in their heart and life and is changed. That's not the case with Elymas. Sad, sad. He resists the message He's trying to turn Sergius Paulus's heart away from the truth. And so Paul, having great discernment, knowing that this bar Jesus is hardened to the truth and is standing against the truth and is set on distorting the truth and is attempting to turn someone who is willing away from the truth, he rebukes him. Look at verse 9. But Saul, who is called, also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit. Uh, here you have the reason, right? For his great boldness, his great discernment, Paul is filled with the Holy Spirit. And by the way, notice this is the third time the Holy Spirit is mentioned in this passage. We're told that he calls Barnabas and Paul out from Antioch. We're told he sends them to Cyprus and on to these two individuals in Paphos. He's all over this encounter here. He gives Paul insight into the intent of Bar-Jesus, and he is also working in the heart of this proconsul. He is all over this work. We have said this over and over again, believers, but listen. The Holy Spirit is the fuel, the power behind the success of God's mission work. Listen, if he's not at work, forget it. Forget it. You could have all the, the, the seminary degrees in the world, have the Bible memorized. If the Holy Spirit is not at work, forget it. There's no amount of work you can put in to mission ministry or any other ministry that will bring the smallest amount of fruit apart from the Holy Spirit. He's at work here. And notice what Paul, who is filled with the Holy Spirit, says and does to this wicked false prophet. Paul says, who's also called Saul, who is also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, he looked intently at him and said, you son of the devil. Now remember, his name meant son of salvation. But Paul turns his name on its head, right? He says, no, you're the son of the devil. He says, you enemy of all righteousness, full of deceit and, and villainy, will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? Here we have the reason Barnabas and Saul are sent to Paphos. They are sent to make straight the path of the Lord. Do you see that? In Isaiah 40, verse 3, we have the calling of Isaiah, the description of what Isaiah was to do in ministry, and it was a calling that was later placed on John the Baptist, and really the calling that God has placed upon all of us believers. 
It says, a voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for God. Folks, that's what we're called to do in ministry. We are in the, in the wilderness, in this fallen, sin-stained world. And though we have been saved out from that, saved from our sin, saved for God and have been set apart from this fallen, wicked, sin-stained world in which we live, we've also been called to go back out into this dark, dead world, into this fallen world, and be a light shining for Christ in this dark and dead world. We're to be the voice, God's voice, crying in the wilderness. We're to be advancing God's kingdom. We are to be making straight in this desert that we live a highway for God. We're to be showing the straight way to Him through Jesus. But here's the problem. The problem is there are many in our world today, like there were in this day, who are making crooked the straight paths of the Lord. They are distorting and confusing and opposing God's gospel message. And so we are to go and do missions to counter these messages, to counter these, these efforts with the truth, to show people the true way, the right way, the straight way, the only way to salvation, the only way to be made right with God through Christ alone. Folks, we are to be praying for, giving to, going on mission with God because get this, Satan is on mission as well. You know that? You better believe it. You see it all over. Whenever you go out and do ministry, you find Satan's there and he's working as well. So believers, we got to go and we got we to counter his anti-Christian movement and message with the truth to make straight and clear the way to salvation through repentance and faith in Christ. That's why Barnabas and Paul are in Paphos. And notice that God does a mighty and miraculous work through them. Bar-Jesus was probably a powerful magician, evil and satanic, but powerful. If not, Sergius Paulus probably wouldn't have had anything to do with him. But notice, God flexes his muscle as well in this story to show that his strength, his might, his power is unmatched. Look at verse 11. Paul says, And now, behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and not in a good way. Can I include that? And you will be blind and unable to see the sun for a time. Immediately mist and darkness fell upon him, and he went about seeking people to lead him by the hand. God brought him to his knees, did he not? How terrifying that must have been. To immediately be struck with blindness. There are two things I want to point out here about this work that God does in, in, in punishing Bar-Jesus. One, I want you to notice God does it. God is the one who does this work. Folks, listen to me. Those who oppose God and his message will experience his judgment at times in this life and especially in the life to come. Not my words, God's words. I don't write the messages, I just deliver the mail, right? It's God's words. That's a guarantee. We see that all throughout Scripture. Another reason God does this work is to also bring credibility 
to his messengers and to his message. God wants to draw attention to his gospel message. At the end of Acts 4, we learn that the church prays that God would pull out all the stops and do whatever by any miraculous means necessary he would work to draw attention to his message and draw people to himself through his son, Jesus. That's what happens in this story with Sergius Paulus, which leads us to our final point. The fourth reason we're to have a heart for missions is, number four, so that people everywhere can respond to the truth of God's message. After hearing the gospel message from Barnabas and Paul, and after hearing Paul's rebuke of Bar-Jesus and seeing this great display of God's power, Sergius Paulus is ready. He's convinced. Look at verse 12. Then the proconsul believed. When he saw what had occurred, and get this, for he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. Underline teaching of the Lord there. Folks, listen. It's not the miracles that save, it's the message. It is. It's not the miracles that save, it's the message. There's a lot of overemphasis on the miraculous and a de-emphasis on the message. That's tragic. Because through the message we're saved. Through the message one hears and is changed and believes. Miracles simply draw attention to the message. This Roman leader gave his life to Christ because he heard the message of Christ from these two disciples of Christ. And we're reminded here once again of why we are to have a heart for missions and why we are to pray and give and go on mission with God. It's so that these types of encounters happen. He wants us to be on mission with him and for him so that people everywhere would respond to the truth of his message. Listen, if we don't go, we can't share. And if we can't share, people won't hear. And if people don't hear, they won't know. And if they don't know, they won't understand. If they don't understand, they will not respond. That's the way God has set this thing up. He sent his son to save you and me. He sent his spirit to live in us, to seal us, to empower us. He sent his word for his indwelling spirit to use, to speak to you and me and and through us. And he has also sent us out, believers, to be his witnesses, witnesses of his great work and witnesses of the wonderful work of his son, Jesus. And the way to be an effective witness for him by first you being willing for your yes being on the table if and when he calls and then second by being faithful to share his word and the power of his spirit and believers just like with Sergius Paulus God has done this kind of work in us right has he not God sent people to you sent people to me he gave us his word He put people in our lives to share and show Christ to you. To save you and to set you apart so that you can go and do likewise. What if that person who was faithful to share with you saw your life today? What do you think he would say or she would say? It's a good question, isn't it? Would they see you being faithful like they were to you? Bringing the message to you? It's a great question. 
He has saved us. He has set us apart to go and do likewise so that more people can hear, so that people can be pulled away from the clutches of Satan and brought into the kingdom of God through Jesus. Maybe you're here today and I need to back up a bit. I jumped ahead. I need to back up and ask you first and foremost, have you given your life up and over to Jesus? Is he your Lord? Before you can serve him in this way, you must be first brought to your knees in a good way before King Jesus. Have you given your life up and over to him? Maybe you're here this morning up to this point in your life. You have lived your life apart from and opposed to God if this is you. Listen, the message is clear. You need to repent. You need to turn from your sin. You need to give your life up and over to Christ. God sent his son. Jesus came from heaven to earth to live in your place, die in your place. He took on our sin at the cross. He experienced the judgment of God and the wrath of God so that we might not have to, so that we, through faith alone and him alone, could be forgiven of sin and made right. Righteous in Christ. He's done that for us. What's required of you is for you to respond to this work by turning from your sin and bowing your knee to King Jesus, making him your Lord today. Have you made that decision? If not, I pray you would today and be saved. Let's pray.